This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beats on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Richard Ewart. Coming up, Australia's Indigenous cricket team's tour Vanuatu for the first time and their opponents are thrilled. They're a very, very good team and getting to play this tournament is such an amazing opportunity for us. Taking on the old guard, we meet the woman who's drafting a new constitution for the Tonga Rugby Union. Once a woman speaks, everyone listens. Me being a woman plays a very important part in bringing together all these men with their different ideas because they can actually have time to listen to me. And we check in on the PNG Open Golf Tournament where one name stands out, Marape. And yes, the Prime Minister is on the tee. Find out how James Marape fared in the first round of the PNG Open a little later in the programme. But first, the head coach of the Fijiana Andrua in Okimale is confident that his team will retain their Super W title when they take on the Reds in the final in Townsville tomorrow. In fact, Mali has given Fijian fans an assurance that they will hold on to the trophy they won at the first attempt last year. But in the eyes of many, such confidence might be a touch surprising, bearing in mind the team had lost three matches in a row before their shock semi-final win over the unbeaten Waratahs last weekend. The head coach has at least admitted that the Hondura need to tighten up their defence. They went down 45-22 when they last played the Reds just last month. But regardless of the outcome of the big game tomorrow evening, the Fijian community in Townsville are planning to celebrate with the team. To tell us more, we're joined by the Secretary of the Fijian Association of North Queensland, Sala Batete. Sala, good morning. Thanks for joining us on Pacific Beat. Good morning. Morning, Richard. So first of all, were you surprised that, uh, that Fijiana and Drew made it to the grand final? Because uh, they weren't going too well, were they, prior to last weekend? Uh, you may say that, but um, we've had a few Fijians that have booked hotels since January uh, just to, in Townsville. Uh, for some reason, we thought it was their first pool game that was here uh, for the 6th of May. And... Um, we later then knew. We later then found out that it was um, it was the finals that was going to be held here. But I guess, as you say, we're a rugby country. Most of us had faith that our girls would be would come here to Townsville uh, for the finals. And the team ha- has not for the first time had to overcome obstacles that uh, most teams should never have to overcome. I mean, not least there was the business in Brisbane a couple of weeks ago and apparently their food bill hadn't been paid and the local Virginia community stepped in to assist with meals. Um, I mean, it shouldn't happen to any team, should it? But for them to come through something like that and then go on to make the final, um, that's pretty impressive. Uh, yes, it is. It is impressive. And why do you why do you think that the team has got into that situation? I mean, do you feel that perhaps they haven't been given the attention that they should have been given by the Fijian Rugby Union? Bearing in mind they have their own problems. Um, I've um, heard a lot of stories, a lot of rumours, which I don't really know which is true. Um, but I'll leave that for for the team to say. Um, but. Uh, over here in Townsville, they've been very looked after by the uh, Australian Rugby Union, where all their accommodation and meals have been paid for. We, um, the community, had offered to uh, provide dinner for tomorrow night for the after game, post game, 
Um, but the uh, manager has told me that ARE is looking after them and they do have uh, meals provided until Sunday when they check out. I gather, though, that uh, you're hoping to organise a celebration for the team regardless of the result to, to celebrate their second season in Super W. So it's, oh, at this stage, do you know what form that celebration might take? Will you get to celebrate with the players themselves? Yes, we will. Um, we win or lose. We are celebrating. Uh, we um, we still really haven't finalised the, um, the programme, which we hope to do today. But uh, yes, it will start off with a uh, Thanksgiving devotion and then carve a ceremony for all. And for you personally, what what has this journey been like over the last uh, season and almost the second season for the Endura? I mean, it, it is pretty extraordinary what they've done, isn't it? To come from literally nowhere, win the title last year and fingers crossed, do it again tomorrow. Yeah, that is so true. And uh, following with uh, their stories, all the players have different stories. Um, and we all know our humble beginnings uh, back home in Fiji. So, it, you know, we empathize with them and we're also empowering them uh, as women. We look uh, forward for the game tomorrow and uh, we just hope that they do their best. Uh, the girls are all in high spirits. Yesterday was the first time that we all, um, we the Fijian community, met them as uh, the Indigenous community did their welcome to country and the smoking ceremony, which was uh, was really emotional, just uh, the fusion of the two uh, cultures here in Townsville. And come kickoff time tomorrow evening, I mean, how big a Fijian contingent do you anticipate will be at the ground in Townsville? Uh, we've heard that there are people coming as far down as uh, Sydney. Uh, we also have our communities in Rockhampton and Mackay, Emerald, and also uh, we heard there's a busload coming down from Cairns, uh, especially with um, with those in the Palm Scheme and Neck uh, Scheme that are here in Australia. We look forward to welcoming everybody here to Townsville uh, tomorrow. And uh, the Blue Wigs are very well known for supporting uh, the Fijian Rugby Sevens teams. I mean, w- will they be in evidence at the game tomorrow? Because that would add even more colour. <laughs> yes. Uh, I am a, one of the Blue Wiggers too. So, uh, yes, we'll be there in uh, full colour. And uh, we already uh, organised a supporters uh, section at the uh, Queensland uh, Bank Country Bank Stadium. And bearing in mind the season that the team have had, uh, they started off with a couple of wins and they had three defeats and it all looked over. And then at halftime last week, it certainly looked over against the Waratahs and yet they came storming back to win the game and uh, seal a place in the final for the second year running. So uh, hand on heart, do you think they can do it and make it two trophies out of two? Yes, they can do it. Uh, it's all in the mind. Eh? It's all in the mindset. So uh, um, the man- management, coaching management team have are doing their best. And, um, yeah, all we do is we can just hope and cheer on our girls. They are extraordinary ambassadors uh, for their country as well, aren't they? I mean, well, we, we touched on what they've the troubles that they've had this season and they've had troubles in the past, but they never seem to complain, certainly not publicly anyway. No, that's uh, so true. Yeah, as I said, I think it's it's in the mind. You just have to move forward 
And I um, hope they are doing that. Well, we look forward to the game tomorrow. It's the Fijiana Andura against the Reds in the Super W final for 2023. And I hope it turns out to be a great match and the right result for the Fijian side. Salah, thank you so much for joining us on Pacific Beat. Thanks, Richard. Salah Vatete, who's the secretary of the Fijian Association of North Queensland, and they're uh, well prepared for tomorrow. And uh, certainly if if the power of, as it were, Fijian spirit was going to play a role, you would think that the Andrua will uh, pull off an unlikely victory and win Super W for the second year in a row. We wish them and their supporters uh, every success. In Super Rugby Pacific this weekend, the Fijian Andura in action earlier in the day, uh, taking on the third place Hurricanes in Suva at five past two local time. In fact, and uh, later in the day at five past seven local time, Wana Pacifica will try to end uh, their run of nine successive defeats against the fourth place Blues in Auckland. In Rugby League, meanwhile, the PNG Hunters, well, they'll be confident of victory when they take on the bottom place Jets in Port Moresby. That's in round eight of the Queensland Cup and over the border in New South Wales. It's also round eight in the Royal Massey Cup, where the Clavity Silttails will be in Sydney to take on the Wentworthville Magpies. Now, the Australian men's and women's Indigenous cricket teams are in Vanuatu for the first time ever to take on the home teams in four T20 matches each. It's the Indigenous squad's first tour of any sort since before the pandemic, and they were greeted at Port Villa International Airport with a ceremonial welcome from the National Council of Chiefs. As Talia Olatia reports, it promises to be an intriguing series as only the Vanuatu men's team have any experience of playing on the hybrid wicket that will be used for all eight matches. The hybrid wicket, part natural, part synthetic, was first put to the test during the men's regional T20 World Cup qualifying tournament in Port Vila last year. So that experience may give the Vanuatu men's team an advantage over their Australian opponents. But the captain of the women's team for Vanuatu, Selena Solman, says that's actually not the case for her side. I played one time in the hybrid with the boys because I played club cricket with the boys. But the women's team, we've never played in the hybrid. So it's going to be new for all of us. Selena's opposite number, Hannah Darlington, is an Australian international who has captained the Sydney Thunder Big Bash team and she's still only 21. But she says her players won't know what the hybrid surface is like until play starts. We're in the syntho nets. We get a chance to have a look, so we'll see what it looks like, but no chance to get on the wicket. You always come overseas and expect different conditions, so it's no different to that. It's just a hybrid wicket brings an extra challenge, so we'll be walking in with unexpected scenarios, but I think we'll learn pretty quickly, and it's nice that we have four games on it so we can see how we progress. Damon Egan, who has represented Victoria in the National Indigenous Cricket Championships, is captaining the Australian men's team. So what does he make of the playing surface? Yeah, it's a little bit unknown. Looks, I guess, a little bit more of a, a clay service. So expecting it to spin and expecting the bounce to be a little bit variable. But no, all sort of conditions that we're just going to have to adjust to. It's going to be new to sort of most of the players in the team. But, um, you know, it's still a challenge that we're going to need to overcome as well. The Vanuatu men's team will have a new captain in Ronald Tari. That's because the regular skipper, Patrick Matatalva, and three other senior players are in Australia doing seasonal work. And Selena Solman says her team has been impacted too. We're missing three of our players, but honestly, I think that the girls here who are playing now, they deserve to be in the team as much as anyone else because they're within working very hard. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we know what we're going to go against. I mean, we play against one of the best teams we would ever play against. This tournament, you know, will 
give us an idea of where we are, what we need to work on. As for my own personal game, I'm really looking forward to see where I am at in my cricket. The series promises to be a meaningful one in many ways, for Hannah Darlington and Damon Egan, representing their country, their people and their culture is a source of great pride. I think the main thing is it's a lot more than cricket. We're here representing our individual cultures and then a a culture as one as Indigenous people. So yeah, we're really proud to have a moment like this to be able to come to Vanuatu for the first time as a a touring side and yeah, enjoy the cricket, which is a, I think a bonus in the end. I think when we get any chance to represent our culture doing something we love, we're very lucky. In Australia, you know, we run with the motto that cricket's a sport for all, regardless of your background, race or religion. And I think this is just one of those, you know, opportunities to keep spreading the game around the world, particularly in the you know, developing countries such as Vanuatu. You know, Australia's produced some fantastic Indigenous cricketers and I'm sure we will do so in the future years. From Vanuatu's perspective, Selena Solman says her team is facing perhaps their toughest test ever. When they were saying that Indigenous team coming over, I didn't really know who was going to come over. But then when I saw the list, I was like, because I, I played with Sam and I played against Hannah before and I, I'm really sure. I have a good, you know, vision of what we're going to go against. They're a very, very good team. And getting to play this tournament is such an amazing opportunity for us. One question now is, might this tour by the Australian Indigenous teams set a precedent for future series in other Pacific countries, perhaps even starting in Papua New Guinea? Damon Egan is certainly in favour of the idea. Yeah, absolutely. I think PNG is sort of the big brother of the Pacific Island region. We've played against PNG in the past and fantastic to play against them at some stage again. We certainly got ambitions about what we want to do and now where we want to get the program back to again. Prior to COVID, we felt the program was in a really good space and you know we had a lot of first-class cricketers you know within our team. So looking forward to getting back to that spot again, um, but obviously it's a bit of a journey and you know that starts here in Vanuatu. I think everyone loves the chance we get to tour, so I think we're definitely going to be pushing for it more considering the talent that we have in the pathway. And Selena Solman and her team couldn't be more grateful that the Australians have made the trip. You know, the girls couldn't believe that they agreed just to come over here and just to play against us. So for us, it's such an honour. Hopefully it's the first of many more. Selena Solman, captain of Vanuatu's national women's cricket team, ending that report from Talia Olatir. And that series begins between Vanuatu and the Australian Indigenous teams today, in fact, in just about an hour's time. And it uh, continues tomorrow and then on Monday and Tuesday of next week. It promises to be quite a series. Now, we stay on a cricketing theme because after 12 years under the wing of former Australian Test match fast bowler Greg Campbell, Cricket PNG has a new chief executive in Richard Doan. A first-class cricketer himself with New South Wales, he went on to hold senior development roles with the International Cricket Council. More recently, he's been head of cricket operations in the United States and now he's taken charge in Papua New Guinea. He arrives at a time when the senior men's team have been struggling rather to find consistency and have lost their one-day international status. But the women's team are on the up and came within touching distance of a place at the T20 World Cup for the first time. So what does Richard Doan make of the task ahead? Yeah, look, I mean, there's a lot of good things around PNG cricket. You know, we've got some good support from our sponsors. In fact, we had a sponsor night, which was all very positive. And I think that's a sign of trust in an organisation that's done a pretty good job and been recognised for doing that over a number of years. You know, any transition between CEOs is going to be a, a tough time. I'm learning the business and, you know, also learning about PNG. So there's a few challenges. But having said that, look, it's a very positive environment. Of course, as you'd expect, I'm trying to get a fresh set of eyes on things and appreciating that things don't need to be undone, but there may be some things that need to be 
rearranged or done a little bit differently, but that'll take a bit of time to figure out where we are. On the more immediate front, we've got a lot of competition coming up, various qualifiers happening across the region. And you know, one of the big ones for us is hosting the East Asia Pacific T20 qualifier in July. So that's a focus and the outcome of that is pretty important qualification for a World Cup. Would you see one of the key tasks being to establish a settled coaching structure? I think it's fair to say since Joe Dawes left as head coach, it hasn't really been comfortable for Cricket PNG. People have been coming and going, but no permanent appointments as such. Yeah, look, if we want our national teams to perform, then we've got to have some stability in that area. Particularly the last six months has been quite a difficult period, and that's something obviously we've got to look at. So, you know, that'll be an ongoing process. We've got some timelines for both the men and women to look at how those programs work and who leads them. So, yeah, absolutely important to get that right. And the tendency has been to bring in coaches from overseas. Clearly, you have to take your time to assess the situation, as you pointed out, but do you think it may be time to bring in a local coach? There's local coaches involved with our sides, but you know, at the end of the day, what we need initially is the best coaches to be able to, number one, you know, get the team to perform, but number two, to transfer some learning to the local guys. There are a lot of local guys here who've played a good level of cricket, but I still think that upskilling the local coaches and getting them better and getting them more capable is a really important part of where we want to go. You know, PNG's really strongly based around PNG local cricketers and it's not traditionally an importer of cricketers, if you like. So, you know, the opportunity to get local people involved more, not just in the coaching area, but across the administration is a vital part of what we do. You've been able to take a look at Cricket PNG from a distance, as it were, over the last few years. You were at ICC as mm. head of performance for 15 years. I gather you've been involved in assisting Cricket PNG on occasions with development work. How much more potential do you think there is? How good a team, both men's and women's, could Cricket PNG produce? Oh, look, the environment here is quite conducive to us being better. And, you know, one of the things that I think, particularly with the men's team, I've noticed over the years is there seems to be a, I guess you'd say, a plateau. The team's been up and it's been down. It's always been sort of in the top 18 to 20 countries in the world. At various times, it's improved to be, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, around that area. And, you know, our task is to try to, to make a bit of a shift and have them consistently in the top 12 or so countries in the world. The potential for that, there are plenty of young kids playing the game. We have a great program through BSP that continues to go, one of the longest sponsorships I can think of anywhere, 15 years. And that program we need to figure out what the pathway is. So I think in answer to that, the competition pathways, a lot of what we do regionally doesn't really have a great pathway through under 15, under 17, under 19 to really get those players through. So getting that as a consistent part of our system is really important. But I think there's unlimited potential. Anything's possible. We just need to figure out how we get there. Do you feel, therefore, that perhaps that there is a danger or has been a danger that young talent may have slipped through the net? Because if you look particularly at the men's team at the moment, there are some very well-established names in that squad who've been there for a long time now. There's always going to be a question about, you know, Know, what time is time for the turnover? I don't think you can ever get to the situation where you can afford to lose six or eight players at one time. So it's a matter of how do we move through that? How do we introduce young talent to the side now at the same time as retaining the strength of some of the experienced players? You know, there are a lot of elements that go into that. There's fitness, there's enthusiasm, there's all those sorts of things that maybe young players bring into it. But, you know, the older players carry a lot of weight as well in terms of being able to bring their knowledge and transfer that 
off to the younger players. So that transition is really important. It's a time where you don't want to take major steps, but you certainly want to start moving in the direction where the pathway is starting to produce more regular players. And for you personally, how do you see the task ahead? I imagine you're pretty excited about it, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's an immense amount of talent, an immense amount of potential here in PNG. The local circumstances sometimes make that a little difficult to get to happen. But look, the challenge of doing that and the challenge of making a difference and not just in the game, but, you know, how we can influence the communities around the place to be better as well. You know, I think that comes as as part of our challenge overall. So I'm incredibly excited to be able to come to PNG and, and to be able to help them in any way I can. That's Richard Doan, the new man at the helm of Cricket PNG, the new Chief Executive Officer on the line from Port Moresby. And uh, time this Friday morning to take a check at uh, some of the uh, stories making news headlines around the Pacific at the moment. So keeping an eye on developments for us, uh, Kyle Evans. Good morning, Kyle. Good morning, Richard. How are you going? Good, thank you. Now, a recent security agreement which was signed between Australia and Vanuatu. um, They want to dot the I's and cross the T's, but it might not happen. What's gone wrong here? Yeah, so it appears uh, Vanuatu Prime Minister Ishmael Kausikau is facing increasing political blowback uh, from within Vanuatu after signing that pact last year. So this is hot off of the press, reported by the ABC overnight. And the article states there are growing signs that Mr. Kausikau may face uh, a political battle to get Vanuatu's parliament to sign off on that pact. Uh, Apparently, it doesn't sit well with opposition MPs and even some of his senior ministers are pushing to delay, amend or even scrap it altogether. So what's the problem as far as the opposition MPs are concerned? What don't they like about the deal? Well, yeah, there seems to be some suggestions that uh, the Prime Minister has drawn too close with Australia. Uh, I understand opposition MPs weren't happy uh, when the Australian government uh, flew the Prime Minister and other ministers to Canberra for meetings back in February. Uh, There's some worries about impartiality. Uh, Some some don't want to see Vanuatu uh, essentially be used... uh, as a way for uh, bigger powers to exert dominance in the region. So the geopolitical struggle continues now, the potential expansion of a marine sanctuary. This in waters around the US Pacific Islands. It's causing uh, some fears in American Samoa and Guam. So what's the concern here? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So governors in both Guam and American Samoa have both raised alarm over a plan to expand fishery closures uh, within the US economic exclusive zones of the Pacific remote island areas. So this is reported by Island Business. and, uh, And this was a plan flagged by Joe Biden back in March. Uh, and in the in the proposed new plan, the sanctuary would cover about seven hundred and seventy seven thousand square miles. However, it's worried uh, territorial leaders so much so they've actually issued an urgent letter asking for a meeting with Mr. Biden. They worry that uh, further closures would be devastating to the local tuna economy of American Samoa and deprive Pacific territories of our uh, economic development opportunities. Now, the World Press Freedom Index rankings are out and uh, one Pacific nation has actually uh, cracked the top 10. So which country is that? Yeah, that's right. So uh, Timor-Leste, believe it or not, has uh, come in 10th, rising seven spots from last year in what the report says is a stunning rise. It's an annual report, basically gauges uh, the health of media and press freedom across the world. Um, 
And as for Timor-Leste, they only gained independence back in 2002 and, uh, and survived many threats to media freedom uh, in the years that followed. Uh, it, at one stage, had a track record for intimidating journalists as well. So, yeah, real achievement for them, considering the, the global media watchdog, they're called Reporters Without Borders, said this year's survey demonstrated enormous volatility in the media industry due to a, a growing anim- animosity towards journalists and, uh, and social media in the real world. So what about the other Pacific nations? So who's up, who's down? Yeah, so Samoa, they did well. They rose from uh, 26th to 19th. Uh, Fiji did well as well. They rose 13 spots. They went from uh, 102 to 89. Um, PNG even rose three spots. So uh, they sit in 59th now. And they, they rose despite the index actually noting political interference that threatened uh, some editorial editorial freedom uh, during uh, during the election. Uh, similar thing about Tonga as well. They they rose five places to forty fourth, uh, despite uh, a bit of a reputation for for going after reporters who embarrassed them. Okay, Carl. Thanks very much indeed. So that's the the lowdown on the uh, Press Freedom Index for twenty twenty three. Interesting to see Timor Leste up there. I'm interested to know what their journalists think about it. I'm not sure they feel they're as free as all that, but anyway. It's, uh, on the face of it, a good move for Timor Leste. Carl, thanks very much indeed. Thank you, Richard. In the Fale is a brand new music show on ABC Radio Australia. Hosted by me, Paolo Tukefu. I'll be spinning my favourite tunes from dancehall to disco, calypso to country, reggae to roots, and hip-hop to house music. From across the era to keep the kids and the aunties happy. If it has a pumping groove, I'll be bringing it to you to bump you into the weekend. In the Fale, Fridays at 2pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. In with the Pacific Beats on ABC Radio Australia, it's the Friday morning sporting edition. I'm Richard Ewart, and for the first time since 2019, the PGA Tour of Australasia has returned to the Royal Port Moresby Golf Club. And after a very long wait, the reigning PNG Open champion Peter Cook is there to defend his title. The COVID-19 pandemic had ruled out staging a tournament in Papua New Guinea until now, but this week's event serves as the beginning of the PGA Tour for the 2023-2024 season. The field is dominated by golfers from Australia and New Zealand, but there is also a sizable group from P&G hoping to make an impact on their home course. And one name stands out in particular, that of the Prime Minister, James Marape. Jimmy Emmanuel from PGA Australia is on the ground in Port Moresby and can bring us up to date with the first round action. Uh, Jimmy, good morning. Thanks for joining us on Pacific Beats. My pleasure, Richard. Happy to be here. Uh, we could talk about the Prime Minister in just a moment, but uh, first of all, let, let's have take a look at uh, who's leading after the first round. Who are the, who are the main contenders? Yeah, after 18 holes, we're close to getting started with round two, but Lachlan Barker from South Australia and Ryan Chisnell from New Zealand share the lead. So they're both five under and then a group of three players a shot back and then a bit of a stack at three under. So some good scoring yesterday in some very hot and humid uh, Royal Port Moresby conditions, really. And the, the local contingent, how did they fare? Look, the, the local contingent is mostly made up of amateurs and and probably struggled a little bit, but there was one standout to, to my mind that was Sotty Dingy, who had even par and sits tied for 27th. Uh, he's one of a couple of players sitting inside the cut line at the moment. So uh, it looks like we'll get a couple of players from uh, from the area who will play the weekend as well, which is fantastic. And uh, they're playing alongside in groups with the Aussie and Kiwi players and they're absolutely loving it and, and learning a lot, I'm sure. And the defending champion, uh, Peter Cook, I mean, I, I, I gather 
He went round with uh, the Australasian tour winner, uh, Stephen Jeffries, and the Prime Minister, James Marape. Quite an interesting little trio. Uh, how did they fare? Yeah, they did. Peter Cook opened with even par and, and Steve Jeffress had uh, three under, so he was pretty close to the lead. And then, of course, they had one of the big names who's not much of a big name in golf in the <laughs> alongside them, James Marape. And uh, look, they, they said they had a lot of fun. I spoke to them afterwards and uh, the Prime Minister went around in 93 shots, which wasn't too bad, really. He's not he's not a tour professional by any means, but uh, he seemed to be enjoying himself out there and the locals seemed to be enjoying him being out there as well. He finished up and on their way to sign the cards it took him a while to come back up the hill because all of the locals that were here the small contingent wanted to shake his hand and give him big cheers so uh it was an interesting environment i'm not sure that i'm aware of a another head of state playing a a golf tournament so yeah definitely a first one for me for sure previous prime minister of samoa competed in the commonwealth games in archery i recall but yes i'm with you i don't don't recall a prime minister in this part of the world or any part of the world take taking part in in an actual tournament as you say he went around in 93 which is which is 21 over i mean not a great round but by no means the worst he's not last is he He's not last, no. And I actually, I went out and watched the group for a little bit and I saw him hit a magnificent chip shot on the ninth hole and, and both the two tour players he played with said he chipped the ball really, really well. And, you know, he, he showed a bit of a bit of game at times and uh, he was enjoyable company along for the ride. So uh, he's certainly not last and he, he'll have another crack today. He won't make the weekend, but uh, he's the patron of Royal Port Moresby Golf Club. And look, it does a bit to get some attention on this event, which is a, a good event. And as you said, the first event of the, of the season for the PGA Tour of Australia. Australasia and $180,000 event and, uh, you know, anything to get some eyeballs on it. And he obviously loves his golf and loves his golf club, which is great for the game. On the flip side, are you aware of any uh, grumbling in, in Papua New Guinea about the Prime Minister doing this and people saying it's been inappropriate and he should be doing prime ministerial things? Look, I haven't heard a huge amount of that sort of stuff. We're obviously locked in here at the golf club and then we go back to the hotel. So we don't spend a whole lot of time out talking necessarily to a whole lot of local people. Um, I was aware that, look, he he doesn't want to make a very big deal out of it. Um, The opportunity came up and, as I said, he loves his golf and it's a unique opportunity. Um, But he doesn't want to be the focus and doesn't want a huge amount of attention on it, which I could imagine maybe is uh, to do with what you've just mentioned, that maybe a few people might think he, he has a few things that he could be doing other than playing a golf tournament. Um, but it's certainly from the locals that were here yesterday, both, both the ex- expats and, and Papua New Guineans, that they seem to really enjoy his, his presence and enjoy him as well. So he seemed a pretty popular guy to me, and it'll be interesting to see today if it's the same reception. And I think you've you've already hinted at it that uh, if his influence in being on the course is is drawing attention to this tournament, I mean that that's got to be a good thing, surely in pure golfing terms, because there's been no tournament for the last four years. So, so really, they're they're kind of rebuilding to some extent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from my opinion, in and being around golf, you know, it's a it's a unique thing, and it, and it gets people interested. Before I came over from Australia this week for the event, you know, people wanted to ask about it and talk about it, which is good. It gets gets the tournament in the news, and uh, yeah, we haven't had this event since 2019, and it's back, and and it's you know growing again, which it it needs to do. And look, the locals really take to it. The players that are here from Australia and New Zealand, it's different. It's 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 pretty oppressive conditions in terms of the heat and the humidity, but they're all 
loving being here and spending some time with the members at the Pro-Am on Wednesday and there's an event tonight they'll all be at and they all really buy into this. So it's important to, to build the tournament back up and keep it going and, you know, hopefully elevate it further and, and have it as a regular tour stop because it's a unique one but it's a good fun one and everyone who comes seems to enjoy it. So, uh, you know, any press on it is, is good to my mind. And from a Pacific point of view, it will be good to see one or two of the locals actually break through, certainly make it through to the final stages of the tournament, because we haven't really had a Pacific golfer who's been right up there competing at the very top for quite some time. I mean, I guess the last and most notable will be Vijay Singh from Fiji. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it, it would be good to, to have, you know, if this tournament keeps coming back and, and the, the tour and, and the PGA and everyone really invests a lot of time and effort into this area with this event. And so if we can keep, you know, bringing events back here and developing local players and have them playing on the Australasian tour and maybe even further, um, that's a fantastic thing for golf and for the region as well. You know, there, there's a lot of people here that really love their golf. And so developing the players is important. And then, as I mentioned, a couple have played really well and, and Soddy Dinghy, as I mentioned, even par and a couple at one over. That's fantastic golf in, on a tough golf course. And it'd be great to be coming back here for years and years and, and maybe seeing a, a local player contending and even winning the tournament and, and seeing PNG, you know, on the world stage in golf. So uh, round two, uh, not very far away at all. Jimmy, thank you very much indeed for bringing us uh, up to date and uh, enjoy the next three days. It promises to be a quite a tournament. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Richard. Jimmy Emanuel there from uh, PGA Australia on the ground in Port Moresby for the PNG Open. And James Morape, the Prime Minister, he went round in 93, 21 over par. But he was there with the defending champion and the Australasian Tour winner, Stephen Jeffries, as well. So in August company. And that seems like he had a pretty good time. He's no mean golfer, plainly. And it's the Pacific Beat, the Friday morning sporting edition with me, Richard Hewitt. Just a few years ago, the Tongan Rugby Union was in disarray and any sort of governance had gone into meltdown. But much has changed in recent times under Chief Executive Peter Harding. And for the last year, he's been assisted by Dr. Unolato Sili, who has filled the post of the TRU's governance and business administrator. Her primary role is to draft a new constitution, and that means taking on the old guard and persuading those men that there is a better way to run rugby union. And her efforts are starting to bear fruit, so much so that she's been formally recognised by World Rugby with the awarding of one of 12 prestigious Women in Rugby Leadership scholarships. Dr. Seely says the award is a huge incentive for her to grow her career in sports management and governance and to be a role model for other women who might also consider a behind-the-scenes job in rugby. I'm going to act like a big big end of hope for women because here in Tonga, we have this mentality that rugby is all for guys because of our culture. But then with this, it gives them another view, aspirations to have a job or career in rugby and governance. One of the aims of the leadership program, as I understand it, is to increase the number of women in key positions within rugby. But it seems to me you're already in a key position. You're taking care of governance at the TRU, you're drafting the new constitution, but clearly you have ambitions to go higher. Yes, yes. I'm a very ambitious person, so I'm pretty sure I will not stop here. I will keep on going. It's an organisation which it's had its problems in the not-too-distant past, the Tongan Rugby Union, but has gradually sort of sorting itself out. You're looking after the constitution, which I imagine is quite a delicate operation. Yes, yes. And I think I'm going down the right track. Everyone knows 
that governance has been a problem in Tonga rugby for years. But then for my short time here, for almost like a year here with Tonga rugby, I managed to put a new insight into what we can do for this uh, review of the constitution. And uh, step one for that was that uh, I started forming a subcommittee for the constitutional review. After that, I continue holding consultations with all the stakeholders of Tonga rugby, going out to grassroots area and covers not only the main island of Tonga Tapu, but also the outer islands, because I felt everyone's voice is important when we are going to do this review. And I had a, a very positive feedback because the stakeholders from the outer islands were actually very happy, even the main islands, because they said rugby in Tonga has been here for 100 years, but this is the first time that a consultation has ever been done at a grassroots level. So it's like ensuring the involvement of these grassroots and the communities and the new constitution. And one of the things that I have been pushing is ensuring the involvement of women, gender equity, in not only at the board level, but also in the subunions. You'd like to see women in the yeah. boardroom. I'm wondering currently, how welcome are women in the boardroom of the member unions or indeed at the top of the Tongan Rugby Union? Because I assume there aren't many, if any. There's only one. We only have one woman on our board, which is a good start for Tonga Rugby. This woman represents the Women's Rugby Association in Tonga. And even though she's still an observer, we are working on transitioning this woman to have a voice for all women uh, involved. And for the future outlook, we're thinking of maybe having at least 30 or even 50% women on the board and everywhere across rugby in Tonga. In the consultations, I was actually surprised myself. All the members were men, but then when I brought up the idea of having women involved in rugby, they all said, oh, this makes sense because we all have women teams in our subunions, but we don't have women at a leadership level or a decision-making level. Governance is vital, isn't it, if the Pacific unions are to make progress. And when you look at Tonga with the World Cup to come for the men later this year, the men's sevens team are on the brink maybe of getting in to the core group. And then there's the whole business of developing the women's game. The Tonga A team played against Manasino just a few days ago. There's a lot, isn't there, riding on this. If you get the governance right, it will help the game to progress. Yes, yes, definitely. And once the constitution is in place, it will act as a guide. Governance is actually very, very important because without governance then everyone will basically just do whatever they want. Are you surprised at the way you have been received as this process unfolds? Because it wouldn't have been too surprising if you'd come up against a lot of opposition, but I get the impression that that's not the case. The men involved in the game are very keen to get things right too. Oh, my test last year, I haven't even finished one week at the job and I started receiving petition letters telling me oh, I should call off this meeting because of what not, what not. I just look at the reasoning that they give out and then I just go like, oh, this has nothing to do with Tonga rugby. So I'll just move forward with whatever it is that I'm doing. And then after I did that, then I don't receive any more such letters or any complaints. And also, I think it's because the culture here in Tonga, our customs is that when you go into a meeting and it's just all men, people go crazy. They will like argue and they will start yelling at each other. But if you go into a meeting and there 
is a woman present, then there is that certain respect. So that's why I have been accepted because I also look at it, it it's because of that, of, of our culture here in Tonga. Uh, once a woman speaks, everyone listens. I also think that me being a woman plays a very important part in bringing together all these men with their different ideas because they can actually have time to listen to me. If I was a man coming into the subunions uh, filled with men, with that certain respect is not there, it's going to be so much yelling and that, but that hasn't happened. Everything that we have been doing, it's always being question and answer, question and answer. So once they understood what I am there for and we are working towards the future of Tonga rugby, then there is no more opposition. Dr. Unloto Sili, Governance and Business Administrator with the Tonga Rugby Union and one of two recipients in Oceania of World Rugby Scholarships, the Women in Rugby Leadership Scholarship, but the other going to Moana Lelua, Player Development Manager with the Melbourne Rebels. Now, time to cast an eye over some of the sporting topics that have been sparking uh, conversation and social media posts over the last week or so with uh, our regular contributor, sports writer and moderator of the Fiji Rugby Players and Rugby Coaches Facebook forums, Tia Rocco. Tia, good morning. Welcome. Good morning, Richard, Nisai, Andra and Bulavinaka to all our listeners in Australia and across the region. So good to be here. Quick words, first of all, on the Fiji Rugby Union, an enormous shake-up a few days ago now, the, the whole board resigning, the president, Frank Bainimarama, is no longer there. We have a new administrator in Simeona, Valeni Tambua. Uh, what do you make of the situation? I mean, is this all positive? Well, Richard, you know, like in a, in a nutshell, when we last spoke, the, the saga all came to an end um, and, you know, with the board members still trying to keep their positions when the Rumbuka-led Fiji government stepped in. So essentially it is now under administration as the very technical issues that Fiji rugby was trying to undermine their constituents with has come back to bite them. So what stunned rugby fans across Fiji is the board's fight until the very end, they obviously have a um, a legal officer who was asleep at the wheel, Richard, and as we all know, board membership differs, the rules differ for associations and companies from country to country, but one would expect with the brains trust behind this now dysfunctional machinery that people would have uh, questioned the legality of their position knowing that its uh, constituents were unhappy and looking for any loophole to bring them down, uh, Richard. So, yes, as you said, the AG uh, told directors that the Fiji rugby had been run illegally, sparking the resignation, stepped in, he stepped in and appointed a temporary uh, administrator who has been put in charge and a spokesman, spokesman said um, it, after its board resigned that five, you know, it's five months, obviously, before an important fixture, that is the Rugby World Cup. Um, is, you know, about to happen. So this has happened. So what we can look forward to, Richard, is that one hopes that there will be um, an installation of people who are competent, business-minded, uh, coupled with business acumen. So Fiji Rugby needs an overhaul. 
It needs to be cleaned from board members to the very people who are uh, still incompetent, still holding positions within the organisations that need to go. So I'm looking forward, Richard, to a clean board, no former politicians or current uh, politicians except for the PM's uh, nominee, independent lawyers and specialists who are interested in taking uh, what, uh, we, as we always say, what was once Fiji's oldest and and uh, respected uh, institutions. And Richard, meanwhile, uh, the interesting thing is, um, like we always say, when there is trouble in this very kitchen uh, that has been uh, troubled ongoing for some time, that the players continue to be successful on the field, case in point, Fijian and Drua and the Fijian Warriors defeating Japan a few days ago. Yes, indeed. The, the, the Warriors are, are taking part in that uh, World Rugby Pacific trophy, the four Pacific nations involved. Uh, more matches to come there in a day or two's time. But more immediately, you mentioned Fijiana and Drua, the Super W final against uh, the Reds in Townsville tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I think it's fair to say that anybody who's followed the team this year didn't really see that coming, did they? They didn't think it would happen. So it's an amazing turnaround. And if they win, I mean, that will be even more extraordinary. Yes, you know, Richard, this team is very close to um, the hearts of Australians and uh, Fijians. So we have been there for the journey, you and I. People doubted uh, their ability to get where they are now. Unfortunately, um, you know, players still have not been paid their allowances. Uh, I'm told since the Women's Rugby World Cup, Richard, they're still owed payments. They have worked hard and silently to get to where they are now. Look, if you ask me whether I doubted them for a minute, Richard, uh, I have complete trust in them, being capable to do the job and complete it this weekend. It is the fight that will get them through. They had issues with non-payment of meals. The Fijian uh, diaspora in Perth and Sydney and Townsville have dug in their heels to help the women where they can uh, in what is probably the last blunder by the old Fiji uh, Rugby Administration. I mean, this is utter uh, embarrassment, Richard. I'm so embarrassed at the way that we treat our athletes, Richard. Um, And it's going to be a difficult game against the Reds in the finals this weekend. We wish both teams well, uh, but I'm going to stick with the Fijiana for a win, a big win. Uh, When I last spoke to the team, they are still owed allowances during this fixture that is still not paid. And with this hanging over their heads, Richard. We stand behind the team this weekend. No doubt every television in Fiji will be tuned in um, or waiting to watch the game or even listening out for the results. And we wish Inoke and the women a win, women who continue to face daily challenges doing what they love and, and moreover doing it for their country, Richard. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite a story. It'll make a, it'll make a good movie one of these days, I would have thought. Now, a quick word on on the Tongan men's rugby sevens team. They are within touching distance of a place in the core group for, for the World Series uh, next season, when they'll only be twelve teams. They do have some work to do. They've got to beat three other teams in a qualifying tournament in London, but they, they've made it that far. But but I gather if they do get into the core group, it's going to be an, an expensive business. But this would be wonderful, wouldn't it, to see three Pacific teams in amongst the 12 in the Men's World Series? 
Most definitely, um, Richard. Looking um, at their history of sevens, Richard, since 1993, the Tongans have, you know, potential. They have navigated in a few tournaments since, and what they need is consistency in their participation in all the fixtures. And I wish them every success as, again, one of the uh, Pacific um, teams in the region who has potential uh, for a success story, Richard, no doubt. And also the Tongan Rugby League team, uh, they're, they're off to England to play uh, three uh, rugby league tests. So they've waited a long time for a bit of revenge over the English after that controversial game in the World Cup before last. So uh, the time is approaching. Yes, it is the first time a Pacific nation has played a series against a Tier 1 nation, Richard, or toured the United Kingdom to play a full international outside of World Cup's fixtures. These two countries, apart from their connection to monarchy and all things royal, share the same love for rugby league. This is going to be no doubt an exciting meet, Richard, and we wish Matatonga well and success in this fixture. Absolutely. And uh, Tia, we'll uh, leave it there. Thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us as always on Pacific Beat. That's uh, Tia Rocco casting her eye over some of the stories of the last uh, seven days and mention there of uh, the Royal Connection. Uh, Of course, it is the coronation of King Charles III uh, coming up uh, this weekend and you can follow coverage here on ABC Radio Australia starting at uh, 7.35pm PNG time tomorrow evening so if you'd uh, like to sample the atmosphere of an occasion which uh, is historic whichever way you look at it whatever you may think of the royalty it's definitely an historic occasion and it will go on for most of the day i suspect so radio coverage from 7:35 p.m png time tomorrow that's it from this edition of pacific beat the friday morning sporting edition best of luck to the fijiana and drew in the super w final against the reds this weekend it will be quite something if they could make it back to back trophies i'm richard Ewart. Thank Thanks very much indeed for your company and have a very enjoyable sporting weekend.